Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 130 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Lime Cobra, an interview with Canadian rock star Cobra Page. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, we've interviewed our first rock star, and I've always wondered what it would be like to live like a rock star. What I discovered from interviewing Cobra is living like a rock star is not good for someone who has Lyme disease. Rich, what really blew me away about Cobra's interview was the fact that she used such a wide variety of protocols to both treat and recover from Lyme disease. For example, she used so many different things to treat her gut health and improve her digestive problems from Lyme and actually was successful and has been symptom-free for the last year with her gut health. She also went to the Invita Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is a very popular Lyme clinic here in the States. So Matt, I'm really excited to now introduce our first rock star to the Tick Bootcamp community, Cobra Page. Hey, Cobra Page, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Well, we're really excited to have you. We've never had a hard rock musician on our podcast before, so we're really excited to have you uh, on our podcast. So, Cobra, can you share with our listeners um, what you do for a living? Sure. So, for the last 13 years, I have uh, been building a hard rock project, and uh, I've been touring around the world, and we have six albums that have been released to the world as well. So what is the name of your band? Uh, my band is called Cobra and the Lotus. And Cobra and the Lotus, uh, you are the Cobra for the Cobra and the Lotus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, Cobra, where do you live? I live in Calgary, Canada, actually, right near the Rockies. And we're always excited to have Canadian guests because Canadians are such nice people. So we're <laughs> so happy to have another nice person on our podcast. And uh, did you uh, did you grow up in Canada? I did. Um, I grew up most of my life in Calgary. There were a couple of years in there that I actually lived in uh, the outskirts of Dublin, Ireland from my father's job when I was little. Other than that, yeah, I've been born and raised in the city half the time and the other half in the mountains in a town called Canmore. So, Cobra, we always want to ask our guests what they knew about ticks and tick diseases during the course of their childhood. So did you receive any educational um, uh, information about ticks and Lyme disease during your childhood? The only thing that I knew about ticks were that they could fall out of trees when we were hiking. My parents always told us we had to wear a hat for that reason um, and that if a tick bit us, we would see a bullseye rash and... That was it. That was the whole gist of it for everyone. Like I, I remember my sister getting a tick behind, uh, she had one behind the ear after we were hiking. And um, but I don't think there was really much done about it because there was no bullseye rash. And that's all, all of us knew about. Now, do you ever remember being bitten by a tick? I was never bitten by a tick to my um, memory. Do you recall ever having a bullseye rash? No, no, I don't. Okay. So now, Cobra, talk to us about what your childhood was like and what kinds of things you were pursuing during your childhood, which resulted in you becoming a professional musician. <laughs> sure. Um, so since the age of six, I was really adamant about singing. Uh, I would really push my parents for vocal lessons. And um, the coach that I ended up uh, learning my classical vocal technique from wouldn't take me until I was eight. So she took me in when I was eight and then it started from there and I, I was trained classically. Um, I had to do uh, classical grades because we have the Conservatory of Music here in Canada. 
Uh, and I went all the way up to grade eight and I went up to grade six with uh, piano and uh, also did the theory that's necessary with that. And then, you know, I had that teenage moment where I decided classical music was not um, something that I wanted to be putting all my time in anymore. Uh, so I guess, yeah, you know, I, I also had athletics built into my childhood, a lot of hiking, figure skating as well. Um, uh, which is very Northern, you know, get some skates on and, um, yeah, but the music thing came by me, honestly, my father is a really, uh, beautiful pianist and I grew up listening to him playing the piano all the time. So I understand your mother was a very good athlete during her childhood as well. So you seem to have had those music and athletic genes, uh, all come together in, uh, in Cobra Page. Yeah, that was weird, actually, because me and my sister both decided we wanted to figure skate before we even knew she figure skated. That was really kind of funny. Um, and also, I should say that my dad was also in a new wave band, and that's how my parents met. <laughs> so this music thing, you know, like the band thing, it's happened in another generation. Um, it, that's pretty cool. So let's talk about your pivot from classical training to now hard rock. When did that happen and how did that happen? It really happened during high school for me. I uh, had this really, I guess, intense vibrato and um, depth in my voice that I, I knew I didn't want to do operatically. Opera just never connected for me individually. Uh, so I was taken to a Judas Priest concert when I was 15. Um, my dad actually took me and he exposed me to a lot of things and, uh, music wise. And when I saw Helford singing the way he was and with, um, the way the instruments, you know, paired with that vocal, I was just like, okay, there's a place for my voice. Um, and that was where that click happened. And then I got like a little group of friends together in high school and we started uh playing a little bit here and there trying to do covers you know like we did uh like motley crew covers very simple things and then after high school i really wanted to find some people that wanted to form a formal band and just have some fun with it but i then took it down a more serious route as we started writing music let's talk about that route how did how did this now desire that was that was, I guess, generated from you going to this concert with your dad become ultimately the career that you've had where you've now um, put at least six albums into the world and you've now toured the world with your band? Uh, I gotta say my dad is a big catalyst for um, a lot of the moments that were big groundbreaking movements for me pushing forward with the band and um, the second big thing that he did was uh, when I was in university during my second year, I was in natural sciences, and he told me that I was a perfect age to focus on the band. Just, just get odd jobs and just like try it out, see where it takes you. Because uh, if you're passionate about it, you you should just try it at this age, and um, you can always come back to school. And so he was really, yeah, that person that made me get over that fear. And cause I would, I actually honestly wouldn't have probably considered it. I was going to finish my degree and 
So uh, I did that. I left university and I just started, you know, doing bartending and all these things, random jobs, whatever would fit in between touring and started to tour anywhere Canada will basically take the band. And that's when we started to grow as writers and musicians and my vision of it grew. And then it just uh, turned into something until the eventual first signing on our second album with Universal Music, which was really a big deal um, in 2012. And that was kind of that, that is the point in time where it became very serious to me as a, this is like my career. I'm looking at it that way. So talk to us about how the band, the touring and the albums developed from that moment in 2012 where you had the, uh, you had been signed by Universal. Um, well, I would say the leap in songwriting, uh, was very big as well as, um, just the authenticity and how I was using my voice as well. Um, I had gotten a lot of, uh, very good constructive criticism. I'm just going to say, um, some of which are now people in the media that have been some of my biggest cheerleaders, but in the beginning we're like, I'm not even going to write about this first album because uh, I don't know what you're doing, you know, with your vocals and, uh, yeah. So, um, there was just a huge evolution, I would say. And then, and then it just kept going. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's the biggest thing was just becoming a little more authentic to what also my body was meant to do. Um, cause I was singing in a way that was hurting me when we first did the initial recordings. It was because I was a teenager when I started it and I, I really had those ideas of the sounds that I liked, but maybe those weren't my personal sounds that fit my voice. And um, I had to learn that way. And that actually came through the first tours that we did through the little like, uh, you know, I, I always call them like shit holes, like little like holes in the walls that I, across Canada where they just like take you and there's one person there and we did so many of those, you know, and it was, but it was through that, that I learned, uh, I got to use my voice in a different way. The way it's meant to be used. So talk to us about going from the shitholes to now <laughs> where you ultimately went to. What, what, Talk to us about the touring, what countries you went to, what stadiums you played, and how that changed once you became comfortable with who you were and believed in who Cobra was. So uh, the first country that actually really took to us uh, was the UK, which was a good thing because the UK can be very picky around what it lets into their music scene with their prolific history of rock and roll and metal as well. Um, and we had a very neoclassical new metal, new wave of British heavy metal vibe uh, in our earlier music, which, you know, paired really well with their Iron Maidens and Judas Priest and stuff. So we um, had these opportunities that started to present themselves like opening for Judas Priest and the Apollo in London, which was really amazing and legendary to be there. And um, uh, I think Saxon was also playing Judas Priest that night. And those things just fueled more inspiration. And, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're also, you're young enough to have the energy also to put into the touring and the drives because the driving on tour when you're in that, stage is really treacherous and um 
but you got to do it. And you hop around time zones a lot when you're touring uh, because there's so many artists booking venues. So you can't really avoid going east to west. And so the driving's nuts. And um, yeah, I, I don't really know how else to, what else to say about the evolution exactly. It's just a natural progression of um, ambition, goals, and uh, <laughs> just like relentless pursuit of um, experience. Because uh, I honestly, now that I've come past a decade of doing this, perseverance has been one of the top foundations of uh, getting to where the band is now. So without going into too much more detail, because I do want to walk back and talk to you about uh, when you first started to show the symptoms of your tick disease, what are the three top venues that you've played in during the course of your career? Oh, um, the number one for me is definitely the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. Uh, we played there with Def Leppard and Kiss. We were the supporting band. And um, that was just one of the warmest arena welcomings on that tour. And it was also full from top to bottom, 20,000 people when we played, which was not the norm across the board when we played on that 23 date um, spread that we had with them. Uh, so yeah, I just always will just cherish that. Um, and I also... I love Nashville. I feel very home at Nashville. Like if I had to choose a music place to be in, it would be Nashville. It wouldn't be LA. Um, and uh, so that's not number one. Number two is probably the Apollo in London, just because of the people that have played there and what that means to uh, people in um, England. And um, number three, <sighs> let's let's say number three was oh, i think it's i think it's called austin 360 it's the racetrack um that's in austin i think it's austin. yeah um and uh that that just was awesome like to i personally love playing outside more than i love playing inside um, I love feeling the air and I love that openness and freedom. Actually, I'm going to slip another one in there. There was a metal festival that we played. Um, and, oh, shoot. I, it's slipping my mind what, where this was. It, it was just incredible. Like what we were staring at was, was mountains, you know, like it was just, it was very close to Trieste, Italy, but it was over the border uh, in the other country. Shoot, I can't remember, but that was way up there. I couldn't believe we were playing outside and facing all this beautiful nature this way. It was nuts. Well, I'm just happy two of the top three places you've, uh, you've listed on your tour are Americans. And I'm so happy to hear that we were so nice to you because we know the Canadians are the nice people and the Americans are kind of cranky. And, and uh, we're just honored to know that we've at least treated our friends to the North so well when you've toured in our country. So that's, uh, that's a blessing to hear. So Carver, talk to us about your albums. Um, you, you said uh, you have six albums. Talk to us about your favorite album. Which is the one that you are the most proud of? I couldn't say I'm most proud of any singular one because every single one has been so integral to getting to the next step 
And it's also spoken about things that I'm relating to in my life and feeling like I am reaching to explore more in my self growth. Um, and uh, I feel like more awareness is coming into play the more you look at the albums. Um, there's a lot of uh, self lessons, especially when you dive into the last three. Um, it's, it's all just related to myself. I don't talk about other people. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I mean, personally for my taste probably today, I really enjoy listening to the new album and the last couple albums. And that's, that's probably just because I've just grown and my taste changed, you know, but um, I see like for fans of our music, they still hang on to the album that suits their taste the most. And that is going to be the best album that we've ever made for the history of their time. Some, many people, the third album is their favorite album. Many people, the last album was their favorite. And, um, you know, the ones in between those are also uh, people's favorites. So it's just, yeah, it's not a one, it's not a one uh, CD answer or love or respect for, yeah. <laughs> Now, Cobra, one of the one of the overlays to this journey that you've been on professionally has been that you've also been on a Lyme disease journey. So let's mm -hmm. talk about when you first started to show the symptoms of your Lyme disease. Yeah, so um, in grade eight, so that's about 12 years old, I um, had Bell's palsy. And it showed up one summer. Um, usually I would train actually in figure skating during the summer and do a summer camp. Um, but I, that year I was just not able to do much. I was very fatigued and I had to rest a lot. And I remember uh, I smiled in front of the mirror and half my face didn't respond and it, it freaked me right out. So I came, you know, running into the kitchen and I'm like, mom, you know, like half my face isn't moving. Look at this. And, uh, so we went to the hospital because we didn't know what's going on and they did a brain scan. And then, uh, I'm not sure how they actually diagnosed it. it must've been blood, but they, they gave me a round of antibiotics and it did correct the symptoms over the course of the antibiotics. And, um, the fatigue, you know, it took a little longer for the fatigue to go away, but my face did correct itself. It actually overcorrected, which is really interesting. So for people that um, actually look at my face very carefully, it's not, it's not the same. One side is perkier than the other side. And the side that's perkier is the side that was affected by Bell's palsy, oddly enough. <laughs> so, so you went from having a face that was symmetrical to a face that was was uh, was partially paralyzed, and then mm -hmm. after you completed the um, after you completed the treatment, you were no longer symmetrical, but you had a perkier face. You said on the side where you suffered the Bell's palsy. Yeah, and very minute. Like most people don't notice. Um, the odd person when I've gone on Facebook Live has uh, you know like a the odd person that's not being nice has been like, what's wrong with your eyebrows, you know? And I'm just like, oh my God, like I can't, I can't do anything about it. This is from like a neurological condition that happened when I was younger, you know? Um, but uh, I was very lucky to not have um, super intense damage like uh, our previous prime minister, Jean Chrétien. No, so is it is it the left side of your face that you suffered the uh, Bell's palsy? It is. 
Can you tell? I can. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, uh, oh, sorry. It's only because you had mentioned your eyebrow, but but your left eyebrow is a little bit higher than your right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. <laughs> pretty wild also my tongue was like uh, split in a perfect line in half with um, raised taste buds uh, when I had the Bell's palsy active in my system that was really wild so now when you were going through this portion of your journey did any of your doctors suggest to you that you might have been suffering from Lyme disease and that the Bell's palsy was a symptom of Lyme disease not at all it was a neurological microbial infection, and that's all we were told. Yeah. So now, how is how is this journey with um, with your early stages of Lyme disease impacting your pursuit of your dreams, both your athletic career and your and your musical endeavors at that time? So. I mean, there was time for me to go back into figure skating, but uh, a lot of things changed for me around that age. I, um, it was when I was starting to feel less close to classical music. And uh, so this is like a preteen age, you know, and the thing with the athletics um, that really didn't jive for me was the stress that I felt when I had to compete. I was just not good with under pressure situations like that, um, specifically competitions. So I wouldn't say actually that I, I can speak to knowing how it affected my life uh, after I was treated for that. I feel like I was relatively um, normal, you know, um, but uh, that changed when I was around 18, 19. That's when I started to have super bad inflammation in my body and a whole slew of things. And went into my next chapter of life where I started to uh, investigate further into what was going wrong. And that's when I was diagnosed with celiac and all sorts of different stuff. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so Cobra, you were feeling good for about 12 years after getting treated with antibiotics for this bacterial infection that caused you to have this Bell's palsy. Yeah. And do you think that's because the antibiotics really helped treat the Lyme disease, but at the time you just didn't know that that's what was happening? Yeah, I do think so. So talk to us more about in, in 2014, how your symptoms started to develop even further and you got even more sick than you were when you were uh, 12 years old in 2002. Um, so earlier than 2014, around like 2008, I started to um, have chronic fatigue and um, I had eczema everywhere on my body. I was very inflamed. I didn't recognize my face anymore because it was so inflamed. Um, and that's when I went to the integrative doctor that has been my family's rock in health since then and a wealth of information and the person that's diagnosed all of us with our Lyme disease. Um, and uh, we ran a lot of different panels. And at that moment in time, we didn't look into Lyme specifically, but we did um, see that there was adrenal fatigue. There was, uh, uh, that I was a celiac, that dairy was definitely out for me. And I was put on the autoimmune protocol and that really made a difference for me. I also had an underactive thyroid. Um, but I, I really like, when I look at it uh, up until the point of 2014, where then the Lyme was really starting to come online again, uh, hardcore, 
Um, and that's when I got my initial diagnosis, uh, from a blood test, um, that it was active in my blood and it was not completely covered by, uh, by the, uh, biofilms it was really showing. And, uh, when I look at that, like in retrospect, I'm like, okay, well, like, what do people do when they're 18, 19, 20? A lot of them are partying. I, I was in university, but we all, we, I partied my ass off, you know, and all these things uh, where we're not sleeping, we're like partying and then going to school 8 a.m. and on and it catches up and you just, I just, then I went into the touring, you know, where even though I was uh, not drinking or anything anymore, I wasn't sleeping. Um, very much at all in the way that I needed to heal, uh, in a regular sense. And, uh, it just made this cascade that started to happen where the bad guys got on top. And that's what I think happens to people too. Often is we run ourselves down in one way or another. And then the bad guys just, they get on top and, um, yeah. So, so Cobra, it sounds like from the time you were 12 until you were 25, your symptoms kept getting a little bit worse and worse and worse, and you kept band-aiding them with temporary treatments, or you were treating the symptoms rather than the root cause. What caused you and your family to believe that you may have Lyme disease when you were 25 when you found your diagnosis? So um, at 20 years old, I just have to clarify this because I, I do believe we were not trying to band-aid the symptoms. We were really trying to find the root causes and realizing I was a celiac and all that really made a difference. When I started to tour and lose sleep and um, uh, all those things, I, I think that's when the Lyme actually grew in my body, you know, further because I don't think it's fully gone ever when you have Lyme. Um, but I do think you can put in remission and have lower levels, you know, or um, have it not run away with your system. Um, but I did a lot of things that did help me feel better, uh, like changing my, um, what do you call it? Uh, my diet, like hugely uh, was very impactful and um, taking the inflammation down in my body and stuff. But the Lyme, I believe this is where I think that unfortunately my lifestyle of really starting to chase the uh, musician thing and, and grow it really was like the start of the crux. Um, when I was driving all this time, barely sleeping and, you know, we need that to flush our toxins out of our brain. We need that to heal the body. Sleep is so important. And, uh, because I didn't really party like past the age of 21 and I don't drink. So um, that was a very short-lived pocket. So I, I think that it was the lifestyle and I was in moldy environments, you know, sleeping on whatever floor and whatever motel we could afford altogether. And yeah, the whole lifestyle run me right down. And in 2014, um, I had been experiencing a sore throat already for a year, which always made me concerned because I was thinking I was on the cusp of a cold all the time. And uh, yeah, that at that point in time for that year prior to the diagnosis, I was doing really harmful things to myself, like taking Z packs quite often, which was just killing everything in me. Um, so zithromycin, you know, and uh, 
that was like not a good idea. And um, that was before I knew that I had Lyme. Yeah. But Cobra, to be fair, you were doing what you thought was the right thing to do to feel better and, and to heal your body. It's just you didn't know at the time you had Lyme disease yet. So yeah. you were working on finding the root cause. You never really gave up, but you just didn't know yet what the real root cause was until you got your diagnosis. Totally. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that there were some things that helped you get some symptom relief before your diagnosis in 2014. And you mentioned that diet was a, a huge factor in symptom relief before that time. So what specifically did you change in your diet to get symptom relief from what you now know to be Lyme disease? Uh, first of all, I had no gluten and dairy. I had no grains. Um, I had no refined sugars. Uh, or artificial sweeteners. Um, I had no beans or legumes. Uh, I took out things with high mold content like avocado and chocolate and co you know cocoa at the source of that. Um, I've been a tea drinker for my whole life, not a coffee drinker, um, but I still dial back the caffeine so no more energy drinks because that was becoming a source of energy while I was on the road especially to get through the drives and uh, really really taking the inflammation down in the body um, in a big way through just integrating those whole whole live foods you know mostly speaking so uh, lots of leafy greens and um, minimal fruits and hopefully lower glycemic fruits like berries, you know. Uh, it was quite, it's quite strict, but holy crap, did it ever help and work? Um, do I stick to that all the time? Still, no, I fail with the, <laughs> with the, uh, the discipline to stick to that for um, the majority of the time. But as a whole, I still practice uh, mostly eating, um, it, with as many anti-inflammatory foods as possible. Um, yeah. So Cobra, let's, let's talk more about now your actual diagnosis. So you mentioned you had a constant sore throat. You were taking Z packs left and right for the year you were on the road and you were just, you weren't sleeping and you were probably stressed, but what caused you to think that you might have Lyme disease and how did you get to that conclusion and that diagnosis? Yeah. So, um, this was actually uh, brought to my attention through, unfortunately, the demise of my sister's health. Uh, she was really uh, falling deeply into an unwell state. Um, and no doctor, she was one of those people where she was getting false negatives on Lyme disease tests and doctors were having a really tough time diagnosing her. Um, finally, they cultured spit here from a doctor in Calgary, the doctor, Dr. Hoffman, that's helped all of us uh, in a lab in Australia. And that showed that there was in fact, you know, Lyme in her uh, body, um, but it was hiding itself really well in her system. So uh, they uh, didn't treat her for Lyme out of her decision, her own personal decision to not want to follow that protocol. Um, and I mean, I don't want to expose too much about her personal journey. It's been a very, very tough one, uh, but she was very neuro neurologically impacted. Um, 
and it's been a really, yeah, it's, it's, it's been sad for the whole family. And I mean, mostly for her and that's that we're, we feel sadness for, but, uh, so she, is she needed help for where I'm getting to is that she, she wanted to treat the neurological symptoms that she was feeling, you know, she was having a, a lot of, um, problems psychologically. And, uh, so it was a psychiatrist in New Jersey, um, named Dr. Bransfield that, uh, deals with psychiatric conditions, um, specifically in people with Lyme. And that was where my mom sent the questionnaire to me saying like, holy crap, you know, I'm filling this out for your sister. And this looks like both of us in many ways. And so that's when uh, it prompted both of us to go get tested. And sure enough, <laughs> there it was, loud and clear. So in your case, your sister was going to seek help in the States. She was filling out a questionnaire. Lyme got brought up and your mom thought, oh my goodness, Cobra might have Lyme as well with her symptoms. And that prompted you to get tested. And of course, as we know, you tested positive for Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, talk to us about what it was like to hear I have Lyme disease. Did you know enough about it to realize you had an uphill battle ahead of you? Or did you feel relieved that maybe I'm going to feel better pretty quickly? What was your immediate reaction to that diagnosis? My immediate reaction was um, that I didn't understand. That was actually my immediate reaction. And I also, you know, I was 24. Um, I had a little bit of like a, an, I guess an immature, ignorant attitude around it as well. I didn't want it to get in the way of what I was pursuing with my band. Um, I didn't want to stop what I was doing. Um, and uh, so in a way I didn't want to take the necessary steps. I was kind of scared that if this was something really that required um, postponing what I was up to and the goals that I was making for myself that I wasn't fully on board, but of course, uh, my symptoms started to get worse. So I, I, you know, I was forced to take it seriously. Um, and that's, oh, that's something that I wish I could pass on to everyone. You know, that feeling of like, get it when you first know, you know, cause it was already not great, the state that I was in, but then it just got worse and worse. So um, and I did start doing treatment for it, but I kept up my lifestyle. I kept touring. I kept this and that until I had to go off the road for eight months. I took that break and, uh, it just, uh, it got worse even after that when I went back into my lifestyle. So, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, there's some people that will be like you rich where you, um, here and then you, uh, hear about this and then you have something very near and dear in your life that um, prompts the exploration of what it is and what it can do and how detrimental that path is if it's not taken care of. Um, but then there's also like this big clump of people like myself who are like, well, what is this? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what is the truth. Like, you know, and then you become wishy-washy until you're in this really bad state and you're like, shit, this is really real. <laughs> well, to be fair, Cobra, this is a controversial disease. There are people that believe Lyme disease doesn't exist. There are people that believe chronic Lyme doesn't exist. So you're young. 
you're not feeling great, but you're still able to perform and live the life you want to live. So you're reading up on this and you, and you come to the conclusion of, you know what, I'm just going to put this behind me and I'm going to keep going on with my life because you don't want to halt your life, right? So it's, it's totally understandable yeah. given the climate around Lyme disease and how people view it as being a fake disease. And I think that's, that's one of the major problems that many doctors, hospitals, countries, et cetera, won't even recognize that chronic Lyme is real. So yeah. before we explore your, your treatment protocol with your doctor in Canada, I want to mention that your sister had Lyme disease, and I believe another family member of yours had Lyme as well, correct? My mother, yeah, and, and still does. And you had mentioned earlier that you, had, you believe you've never been bitten by a tick. You don't recall being bitten by a tick. So how do you think that you actually got Lyme disease? Uh, 100% congenitally through the womb, you know. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there's a lot more science around that now to prove that this is a real thing. And um, as we had spoken a little earlier before we got on here, um, just logically, when you think about everything that can be, you know, if an addict can pass drugs to the baby and the baby comes out addicted to drugs, uh, and, and, or you can have um, herpes and your baby can be born with herpes simplex, like you're sharing blood in a life force, this, this baby uh, and spirochetes, as we know, can go right past the blood brain barrier. So they can certainly go into the womb and through the placenta. Um, so uh this is something that um i hope just becomes more uh more common knowledge um for especially mothers or people that are considering carrying babies this was definitely something that you know i started to consider when i met the partner that i i ended up marrying um recently uh it really made me think about like oh my god i also like i don't want to uh, pass this onto a baby whenever this happens, because this is just hell to deal with. So, Well, Cobra, we urge you and everybody listening to check out the Lime Mind Conference. Rich and I attended the virtual conference this morning, and there was a whole segment on congenital Lyme. And there were leading doctors and experts in the community that cite fact after fact after fact that congenital Lyme is real. They cited that that the Lyme spirochetes were found in breast milk. They were found in, in vaginal fluid. So we believe here at Tick Boot Camp that it is a real thing, although it is still a controversial subject matter. And um, on the topic of that, now you're, you're, um, you're obviously married, you're talking about maybe, maybe having children in the future. What are, you, what are your thoughts about potentially passing on Lyme to your husband or your child down the road? Are you, are you concerned yeah. about that? Are you taking any steps to avoid that? Have you researched that at all? So we discussed this when we first started dating, um, you know, the fact that this can be passed through also intercourse. Uh, he made the personal choice that he didn't want to worry about it. He also was of the mind that this wasn't real. So we, I, I don't want to go actually into detail about what we did, but we tried to be safe, um, as safe as we could, you know, uh, just because I knew. Um, at the point that I'm in now, like we, I feel, actually, where do I want to take this? Um, can you repeat the question? Sure. So, Cobra, this, <laughs> this, is obviously, this is obviously a very personal question, so uh, you don't have to answer, but it, it is, the question is, do you, are you concerned about passing line to your husband or your potential child? And if so, what are you, what are you planning to do to, to 
avoid that or prevent that from happening? Yeah, so currently, um, I, I haven't done a recent test to see where I'm at, but I was in remission, as we can call it, over a year ago. And uh, I was showing some antibodies um, last year uh, in the fall, but uh, I, I haven't had any um, tests recently to show you know, where it's at now. And um, I mean, obviously to have a baby, you have to make a choice. You're not gonna be able to protect yourself uh, in a certain sense to have that happen. But um, the fact of the matter mostly is that, uh, yeah, I do, I do and have worried about that. And also um, I have really worried about the transmission to a baby. And uh, in the weird way, like the universe works, um, I wasn't even in the shape or form to have a baby after uh, I came off my tours last year. Um, my hormones went really awry. Uh, I think two parts. A, from everything I've been through with the treatment of Lyme disease and also the, um, the care that is so required to also rebuild your body after you've been treated for Lyme disease. I don't think people touch on that very often, but your body, um, it needs a lot of help afterwards to really support itself after you've been through some aggressive treatment. Um, there is carnage from that, even if you are doing it in an integrative way or an integrative Western mixed way. Um, and uh, so I had very severe hormone imbalances that I've been dealing with the last year. And also me jumping around time zones nonstop has not led to helping that either, as well as the high stress I've been feeling um, within my career. So uh, A, uh, yes, uh, one of the one of the big um, motivations for me to initially really uh, go into aggressive Lyme treatment was so that I could have a healthy pregnancy in the future with hopefully not enough Lyme being transmitted to that baby that it would affect their life provided they have a healthy immune system when they're born. Um, but uh, now it's a different boat. Now my hormones aren't supporting me. So, you know, it's, it's getting that on track and then I'll probably do uh, you know, a little check-in again, just to see like, okay, where's my Lyme at, you know? So Cobra, it sounds like you're doing an amazing job with this. So you're, you're really working on getting your body rebuilt from the damage from Lyme disease. And then you want to keep the Lyme as low as possible in your body. So you, when you have a child, you make the odds as low as possible for that transmission to your child. And that's an admirable thing to do. And, and um, you know, again, I totally understand that that's a very difficult question. And it's, uh, it's something that many people struggle with often in the Lyme community. But to go back to your, your now your, your diagnosis and your treatment, when you finally got diagnosed with Lyme disease, and I believe you were treating with your integrated doctor in Calgary, what, what was the treatment plan once you got diagnosed and you realized, okay, I have to get treated for this. I'm not going to change my lifestyle, but I'll do the treatment. What treatment did you get for the Lyme? Yeah. So initially, because I was, I was on the road a lot um, in the UK, Europe, and the US mostly, uh, I could only do oral antibiotics because I was gone um, often. And uh, so I was on a ton of antibiotics. I was on bookended uh, doxycycline and um, 
he had me on Zithra Max here and there. Uh, you can't do that, you know, all the time. Doxycycline though was solid for almost a year and a half. Um, hydroxychloroquine came into play halfway through. It didn't work with my chemistry. And, you know, you can also do those blood tests to see what is working with microbes in your body and, and your body um, for all sorts of things, candida, everything. And that was one that just didn't work with me. Uh, so I went off that. I had also a lot of antiparasitics, both uh, homeopathic and because those are those work. I mean, the earth provides um, and that was really nasty. I remember being in South America uh, in La Paz, Bolivia, and we were supposed to perform a day after we landed. We had one day to, which is not very long, to acclimatize to the higher altitude. And I think this combination of being on antiparasitics um, and having lower oxygen caused all these things to die in myself. And I, I got really sick during the night and I purged all these parasites. <laughs> and uh, it was one kind. I had a few different parasites, but this was one that I could see, you know, and I didn't sleep the whole night. I was just like, I felt like I was in a nightmare. When you see something come out of you, you don't recognize. Um, but of course there were just, you know, when the Lyme had, uh, gotten to this certain level, uh, just a whole bunch of things were coming in the gate because my body had, you know, no defense system. So along came all this crap. And, um, yeah, so that was the protocol I was on, but I also was on very high doses of vitamin C, which I still am on um, orally, uh, but I was doing IV bags once a week of uh, vitamin C. I was doing a multivitamin bag. I was doing a hyd hydrogen peroxide IV um, once every two weeks. It was not super aggressive, but it was just kind of maintaining the level of Lyme that I had, which is weird to say out loud, you know, because it wasn't getting better. I was just maintaining where I was at, but I was making this choice to be on the road still. And I mean, I was so tired. I was just dragging my butt around the road and uh, around tour and, um, leaving whatever I had on the stage. But I remember that I was like dead when I would hit the pillow, I was just dead, which I think most sleep doctors would say is a sign of sleep deprivation. Um, it's not a good thing if you can sleep anywhere at any time and, you know, pass out on the second when you hit the pillow. Uh, so I was just chronically tired and uh, I had sinus infections nonstop and it's a shit immune system. So that was the protocol that I was on during that time. And then um, I took eight months off the road. We recorded an EP uh, to keep momentum in the project and to keep it active. And I also wanted to keep the morale up of the band. You know, uh, I was really scared that this was going to stop me and it was also going to make everyone that, um, you know, had joined me in this project think that the project wasn't going to be able to keep moving forward enough for, uh, keep them busy. And, um, so I went right back, back to it 
after eight months and then did a few tours and I came back and we retested and my Lyme had grown tenfold. I was um, showing some resilience to the drugs that I was taking, um, which I think is a, it's a thing as well. Like the, the colonies, uh, as they start to grow bigger, um, you know, the, uh, the spirochete can have a pump sometimes that is basically uh, rejecting um, antibiotics or even homeopathic things and allows it to keep, you know, releasing the toxins and damaging the tissue so it can colonize. And um, that's what happened. I think I was just on the same things for too long. And he told me uh, because the, the uh, red, uh, regulations here in Canada are much stricter than some of the states um, in the U.S., um, I was not able to do uh, IV bags of antibiotics, so it had to still be orally, or I had to have a shot in my butt. And so he said, you can do the next tour on the fall. Um, I don't recommend it. He was actually recommending like the whole time that my lifestyle is just not good for this. Like you should, this touring thing, I know you're a musician, but it's not conducive because also the mold exposure is really high in some places, especially buses and the UK, every venue is very moldy. So, um, and that would flare everything up. And, uh, he said, you can have a shot in your butt and keep taking all these. That's all I can do to manage this right now. And uh, I, of course, was not going to take needles on the road and add an, another antibiotic in. So that's when it prompted me to go down to the clinic in the U.S. where it really aggressively targeted everything through a lot of different treatments and additional things. Um, and I was standing on the other side with my, with my life starting to come back to me. So Cobra, talk to us about how you found the clinic in the U.S. What research you did or what prompted you to come to the States and go to the clinic that you chose? Uh, actually, you know, um, this was all my mom. She had found the clinic for my sister initially, and my sister had had some positive um, results from her first she was there for eight weeks, I believe. It was a long time. Um, and uh, so when I was told that I needed to add this butt shot in and I couldn't do what she was doing down there, then we made the decision to do this. And um, thank God for my dad, you know, getting on board with uh, also supporting all of us through this because uh financially Lyme is just also very debilitating to deal with um because people often can't treat chronic Lyme uh without certain amounts of treatments that are not you know covered by insurance and uh or recognized in general health care um yeah he uh he supported both of us going down there. And then my mom went um, after us eventually, they really wanted to um, put us first and pay for us first. So that's when I went to Invita down in the States where I got the medical port put in and cause they also had veins that collapsed and started to, um, you know, be damaged from all the, IV, the intravenous vitamins that I was getting through my veins. So, uh, yeah, I still have a medical port um, 
just in case right now, because I have to do some retesting. But um, yeah, that was when it really started to change um, was after like a few months after my first six, I think I did six weeks there first. And then I went back for another four, something like that. Uh, but that really, yeah, amped it up. Cause it was like, that was my life five days a week. And I was only there to target this and try to support my body um, in a holistic way while I was doing it. So I was doing colonics every day while I was getting all these IVs and all these uh, different therapies were introduced. I don't know if you want to go into that right now. Yeah. So Cobra, just to put into perspective, your line was probably at the worst when you left Canada to come to the States. And that's why your, your doctor basically said, we can't even treat you here in Canada the way you can in the certain States in the United States. So now you come to, you come to Envita clinic and you start to treat with all of these various different things. So in addition to the IV antibiotics, you mentioned you were on um, the colonics. Now, we've heard a lot of mixed feedback based on the, the effectiveness of colonics. So for you personally, would you recommend colonics? Do you feel they've helped you in any way? Or do you think that was something that just wasn't a good fit for you? I, pers I have heard also mixed things as well from different people. Um, from my personal experience with colonics, it was game changing for me. And I say that also because I didn't just experience the Bell's palsy, I experienced gut palsy later in my age when Lyme came into play in this big way. Uh, so actually it's embarrassing, but not until this year have I started to have my natural functions actually start to come back. And that's a great sign, you know, of my gut biome starting to uh, improve again and the right um, microbes repopulating and also my uh, vagus nerve not being um, paralyzed anymore. Um, so for me, colonics were essential and they were essential on tour and they were essential while I was being treated. So I am a huge proponent of colonics and enemas. I also think they really helped uh, detox all the um, toxins that were being released as I was being aggressively treated because I got really sick like most people do when it started to be amped up. The die-off uh, caused like an immense healing crisis and you just do not feel good, you know? And I, I felt relief. Cobra, before we go into what else you did at Invita, many people in that are sick with Lyme do experience digestive problems uh, issues, you know, eating certain types of food and just being able to have normal bowel movements. And they struggle to find ways to, to help themselves in that area. So what specifically did you do that you believe has helped you get to where you are now? You mentioned it just has been in the last year that you finally have been able to have normal bowel movements. What advice would you give to those people? And what tips would you give to them to help them get to where you are now so they don't have to have these, these debilitating digestive problems that they're currently experiencing? Certainly. Um... Man, I have a lot of tips in that area because I needed all of them. Um, so first of all, I would uh, go on a low FODMAP diet to uh, make sure that the digestive process is a little bit easier on your system. You're not um, consuming things that are so high in fiber like broccolis or something like that. Um, 
even salads can be too much. You want to do steamed vegetables and uh, you can research it, you know, FODMAP. Also, I would stick to the autoimmune protocol. Um, fasting really helped me. Uh, it provided some gut relief and I still have it integrated into my daily life, intermittent fasting. Um, to make sure that your feeding window is not excessive. Like I, I was a really cereal grazer eating like sometimes up to 14 hours a day, especially when I was like on the road with really bad schedules and I would be a night owl after the show. Um, it's really tough if your body doesn't have that time to, uh, you know, rest, um, gut wise. Uh, another thing is a really great probiotic. Um, I was on one called VSL, but I've actually recently found a great one called Seed. And what I like about Seed is that it has a capsule uh, with prebiotics in it and it has a probiotic inside another capsule inside it so that it ensures uh, making it all the way to your colon, which most probiotics won't. Um, I also like that Seed provides education around probiotics. You can go onto their website and you can just learn a lot about how important this is and and what you're looking for in a probiotic. I think they are so critical for um, your health, uh, especially if you're having digestive issues. And uh, colonics, colonics and enemas can really help. And enemas are great for helping to tone your colon, um, again, through the practice of retention uh, when you're having problems with with bowel movements. So it's really retraining your vagus nerve, um, essentially. And uh, you want to just try to work your way up to retaining the water inside you for like a liter or two liters, up to 15 or even 20 minutes. Um, and that really can help as you're practicing that over time. Um, uh, and what was, what's another thing that helped me? Uh, breathing exercises and gargling can stimulate the vagus nerve. Cobra, on that note, can you talk to us about the, how the vagus nerve is connected to the gut health? So why toning or fixing your vagus nerve can help with digest digestive issues for people that are experiencing them? Yeah. Um, well, the vagus nerve is connected to, uh, to your mobility, you know, if your vagus nerve is not firing or um, operating in a, an efficient way, you're not going to have gut mobility. You're going to have very poor bowel function. Um, so that's something that people with gut issues and with bowel movements are going to want to look into is looking into the vagus nerve and how to stimulate it and um, how to make sure it's firing uh, properly uh, or get yourself on that track again. Um, I mean, the central nervous system, which is, you know, part of the vagus nerve is, uh, something that can really be, uh, affected as well, uh, in a big way for a lot of Lyme patients. And, um, uh, once you have an infection going on in your central nervous system, a whole slew of things can go wrong. And yeah, I guess people don't think about the gut aspect, but your vagus nerve is like a key player for what is coming out of you or not coming out of you. And Cobra, you had mentioned that there were some simple things people can do to help tone their vagus nerve. 
So mm-hmm. you mentioned gargling and um, potentially humming. So are there any other tips you can recommend for people to do that are easy to do in their everyday life that can help tone their vagus nerve and potentially help them with their di- digestive issues that they may be having? Yeah, I mean, they can start by gargling three to four times a day at different increments and you'd have to gargle for uh, like three to five minutes. It's not actually very much. Um, you just got to put that effort in. There's breathing exercises. Um, you can, I would just go online and search for breathing exercises to stimulate the vagus nerve. Um, I know that um, actually mindfulness practices can, through the uh, fact that they they bring you uh, out of a fight and flight mode and more into like a, an alpha wave level of the brain where you have slower wavelengths and you're more relaxed, uh, that can also um, help stimulate the vagus nerve because you're you're relaxing you know that whole system that might be a little hyperactive during the day in a way that's really wearing you down so um mindfulness practices also can look and they can be in so many shapes or forms like if you find a really restorative yoga practice or um but yeah let's just stick to the simple things breathing exercises humming same thing as gargling three to five minutes, three times a day, four times a day. Um, what else can you do? Uh, there is a, uh, a natural diuretic. If, uh, you really need some relief, um, this is not a long-term answer, but I do take uh, super Cape aloe it's called, um, here and there, if I need some help, um, and that way you're not taking a medication or a drug and you're not also, um, you're not also taking like a, uh, diuretic in a medical form, which, um, the diuretics, they cause spasming, you know, which is not the most healthful way for your gut to, uh, behave like, uh, spasms, not really the best answer. So super cape aloe actually draws water into the intestine. And um, I think you can also use psyllium husk for that as well. These are just supplements that anyone can buy in a health food store. And uh, it's a very natural and um, gentle way to promote movement. Um, Yeah. These are are really great tips. But now (laughs) moving on to your your treatment at Envita. You mentioned so the the colonics. You mentioned the IV antibiotics. What else do they do in your your? Well, I think you said eight week window at the Envita clinic. Yeah, so I'll walk you through what a typical day would look like. Um, I get there around eight a.m. and first they would take my blood pressure. They'd um, uh, weigh me again. Because um, some people can be very underweight uh, and. Uh, they would start by doing an oxybosh. So they would uh, pull a big, big tube of blood out of my port and they would go and uh, oxygenate it, you know, um, through ozone treatment. And then they would push that back into my system and that's how we would start the day. And then we would do uh, high dose vitamin C bags uh, a couple times a week. My tolerance was fairly good around that. Um, So I got all the way up to 50,000 milligrams in a bag, which is very high. Um, 
I guess they would call that like an infectious disease level of vitamin C IV. Um, we did uh, chelation for heavy metals in the first week of my treatment. And I had also done that here in Calgary. Um, and then we checked the levels of heavy metals in my urine again uh, later on to see how that had improved. And I did um, something called IRAD, which I think is fairly unique to the clinic. I'm not sure, I don't think this is practiced in a lot of clinics, but it was uh, really interesting. Um, it was introduced about three weeks into the program because you need to um, first, uh, first be in a place where your body is not in the worst state and the first three weeks when you're starting to be treated with um all these ivs and um because i had uh let's see i had doxycycline two times a week rifampin two times a week azithromycin up to two times a week and these are all in a bag um had hydrogen peroxide two times a week amino acids for your own bodily bodily support and uh yeah, three weeks in, I did this IRAD, which was to cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, and that was really wild. So that stands for insulin receptor antibiotic delivery. And what they do is they use insulin to put the body into a hypoglycemic state, making the cells really hungry for glucose. And once you've dropped down to a certain number with your blood sugar, uh, they'll release the antibiotic with a little bit of glucose and it goes right into your brain in a more effective way. Um, and uh, I really believe in that. I just saw after IRAD, uh, not only did I start to um, notice that my mental cognition was getting better a few uh, treatments into that because um, I had short-term memory loss. I had confusion. My dyslexia was heightened um, and tense brain fog. Uh, I didn't notice just that I improved. I noticed that other people improved, like people that weren't walking. Um, it was after IRAD that they started to actually uh, have breakthroughs, like they could stand up and walk with a walker or uh, I saw one girl that um, through the course of the whole treatment, uh, after these treatments, she stopped having seizures. Like it was really wild. Um, things that people didn't think were going to reverse or be uh, something that they would not be dealing with for the rest of their life. So uh, that's what we did. And, and we also did um, um, infrared sauna three times a week. And then I did an ozone chamber where I sat in like an egg and I was in there for about an hour uh, and um, pulse electromagnetic field therapy through mats that were placed around my body where I was feeling pain particularly, uh, which for me was my joints in my arms mostly and my groin area, um, which I also started to uh, have injuries in uh, when I was increasingly becoming more limey um they say that it likes to hang out where scar tissue is which is kind of interesting so uh that was my whole yeah encapsulated treatment while i was there um and then i was oh and glutathione too intravenously and uh 
when I came back the second round, they actually introduced an antifungal because my candida became systemic from all of the antibiotics I'd been on for two years. Um, and that was also really bad because candida, you know, when it gets out of control, it's just so toxic and affects you in so many different ways. And I, I don't know if I would recommend the antifungal bag because I had adverse side effects, but I, I was uh, interested in trying it. it was a, it was a new IV at that time and uh, maybe it's gotten better, but I don't think it was ready to be out there yet. So Clover, talk to us about your health when you left the first time you went, you, you arrived there when you were at your worst, you obviously had some herxing reactions, but you worked to detox and do other techniques to reduce that as much as possible. But yeah. at the end of your visit, before you went back the second time, describe your health for us. So uh, when I had left in Vita initially, I was very tired for a couple months and this was to be expected. Um, I also uh, experienced depression um, as my body was in the middle of the herxing and as it was uh, continuing to detox and reboot after um, all this heavy inundation with antimicrobials and everything. <laughs> um, but the first thing I noticed was that my sinus infections were gone. And to me, that was just so normal to have sinus infections. And I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and for a singer to not have sinus infections was just like a glory day. So I was like, this is amazing. And then it just slowly got better from there over the course of four months until about five months later, I was like, wow, I feel like a normal person again. I don't have brain fog anymore. Um, I feel strong. I'm not uh, having muscle injuries when I'm doing simple things in the gym. Like I was holding a Swiss ball in between my legs and my, my muscle uh, strained in my groin. It was just crazy. Um, these things weren't happening anymore. I was sleeping better at night. Um, my joint pain was also, uh, dissipated to almost nothing. Um, I still had some pain coming from my shoulder down, but I wasn't having like the, uh, fibromyalgic symptoms that I had been experiencing in my hands, particularly where I couldn't hold things in my hands. Um, so just just everything was starting to reverse itself and disappear until virtually, yeah, I didn't really feel like I felt very well in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. So Cobra, what was the time frame between your first visit and your second visit back to Envita? It was about a year. And uh, so I, I believe it was six months we waited until we retested. Um, and there was reasoning behind that, you know, you have to give your body some time, uh, especially to have true results regarding antibodies and things like that. And uh, uh, my sinus infection started to come back um, about seven months in, and I started to feel a little tired. And uh, we retested and it looked like um, it was still active, but the levels were significantly lower, like lower than when I had started the oral antibiotics. So I just went back there 
and uh, I did four more weeks and that's when we also did, or I did two weeks actually. Now I'm uh, remembering it was actually significantly shorter and it was shorter than um, my sister's and my mother's because I had made such great improvements. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we did it for two weeks and that was a year later. And after that, it was just, we waited a year and, and then in that test it was, it was in remission. There was just nothing active showing in my system in a big enough way um, to show up in a test. Uh, and of course we did multiple tests, you know, doctors always do that when they're treating Lyme. So, um, and I felt that way. So my feeling and my symptoms or lack thereof went hand in hand with uh, the results of the test. So Clipper, would you, cr would you credit Envita with being the, the clinic or the reason why you're in remission? I would first credit the doctor here, um, Dr. Hoffman, because he is just brilliant. And uh, if he if he didn't have the regulations that were placed, I mean, they've also tried to shut us down, shut down his practice numerous times. And um, he's just uh, pushing forward and finding ways to to persist. And he has diagnosed so many people that um, went on to then be able to find the resources they needed for the stage they were in. But I would give a majority of uh, how I got on the right path and still to this day am um, managing to take care of myself in a better way because of that doctor. Uh, he's an integrative doctor. And then I would say it was Invita after that. And they are a wonderful clinic and they have wonderful doctors and um, they keep stretching to learn more, I guess, which is also important. I think in a doctor that's practicing, um, in terms of trying to find the root of people's uh, symptoms. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I would say if I had to give thanks to, I'm very grateful for both, but uh, Dr. Hoffman was the guy that uncovered it all and really prompted big changes. So Cobra, are you still seeing Dr. Hoffman, the integrative doctor today? Has he been working with you since you came back from your second visit from Invita to keep your health in check over the last few years? I am. Yeah. And, uh, he can provide everything I need, um, in the place that I am, um, right now, but what, but I have locked myself into something new, um, and a little bit different. And, uh, once COVID let, lets up a little bit on the border restrictions, I'm going to go down and I'm going to, um, do something just to bolster my, uh, cell, membrane integrity as a whole in my body a little bit more. And that is through the high dosing of phosphatidylcholine. Um, right now I'm currently on a, a oral phosphatidylcholine regimen. And um, I just think it's unbelievable what it does. Uh, not just for me, but for other people now, like I have my husband on it and it's crazy. It just, it will start detoxing anything out of anyone. Um, even if they think they're well, you start to detox <laughs> because your, your body cell membranes are starting to be uh, um, bolstered by this phosphatidylcholine that it usually would have, but that decreases in our age. And that's something new that's been introduced in the last half year um, that I think maybe I might stay on for the rest of my life. I think it's been incredible. So you mentioned you're going to come to the States when things loosen up with COVID. Is that another thing that you, that 
the level you want to do it here is not permissible in Canada. So you feel you need to come to the States when things loosen up again? Yeah. Um, so because I still have this medical port, uh, I figured that I should use it to my advantage and I haven't had children yet and uh, I haven't been in a, a well enough place hormonally to um, entertain that idea yet. Um, but uh, it is on the mend and it's on, in the right track. And what I can do in the States that I can't do here is I can get the phosphatidylcholine in a higher medical dose through my port, which uh, just increases the speed of cellular recovery and benefits that you get from this. Um, just, you know, tenfold, like it, it's dramatic. So I can do it here, but it's slower, a lot slower. It's just oral, you know? Um, so, uh, and now I'm, I'm really like on a, on a biohacking kick. And so I'm going to do anything I can, especially now as the time has presented this opportunity to really take a good look at everything as well. And what I've been through and what I would like to be able to bring to the world uh, in my next chapter of life too. And I haven't quite figured that out yet, but I want to try some things on myself too. And this is one of them. I want to just do whatever I can to optimize my body and um, bring it to its optimal state. So Cobra, this is probably a very hard question, but I have to ask it. You've done a lot of different therapies and treatments between Dr. Hoffman in Canada and, and Vita in the States. If you had to say what your top treatment for Lyme disease was, for you personally, because we know it varies for everybody, what would you say for you was the most effective treatment you received? Bar none, the most effective treatment is to just nip it in the bud uh, with IVs, with the integrative um, support that you need to support the body while it's having this immense inundation with the antibiotics and uh the integration of all those things that i did so i i would say like if your if your lime you know is starting to affect your quality of life in any way i would if you can manage it check yourself into a place like invita and um bypass the whole prolonged oral antibiotic situation and everything because um I think I could have saved myself some of the uh, anguish that I've had with restoring my gut's microbiome if I hadn't had such a prolonged period on antibiotics. And the oral antibiotics, I mean, they just, they, it wasn't cutting it anymore for my body. And I, I really, in hindsight, wish I could have just had that really aggressive therapy right off the bat that, uh, coupled, you know, supporting the body with the westernized medicine, the, the, whatever you, whatever that phrase is like, um, necessary poison sometimes if it gets to that stage. But, um, that's what I would say. I would just go right for that kind of protocol. around. Well, let's talk about mindset for a minute. I mean, you've accomplished a great deal and you have tried many, many different protocols as Matt had suggested, but I'd like to sort of look back at your mindset because it seems to me that you sort of have some regrets about the treatment path you've taken because you didn't take as aggressive a treatment path early on 
because you were pursuing your career and the career path that you were on didn't permit you, at least in your mind, to go through um, a program like the Invita program. So what was your mindset when you were going down this, down this path and why did you allow yourself to continue to essentially take all these antibiotics and, and essentially prolong the, 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 the treatment journey when you were, um, uh, when you were uh, on tour? I think first and foremost, you don't know. Uh, and like I, I can say I have regrets, but probably nothing would have changed if I went back in time because you only know as much as you know. And I was really hopeful that I was going to be able to treat myself enough through this uh, uh, oral antibiotic regimen. Um, I had a belief in myself that I could overcome it if I just stayed with the program, followed the rules. And uh, I wouldn't have known that it was as uh, chronic as it was. So it was also learning along the way. I'm just hoping that people from my journey can see that and now maybe they can skip that step. They don't have to learn through navigating it for the first time. Um, but uh, the other thing is uh, just, you never want to think about the fact that um, maybe the career choice you've, you've chosen for yourself, especially during your twenties, it's just been an interesting learning experience the whole way along, but you don't, you don't usually want to hope for yourself that all the work you've been putting into something and, and the career path you've chosen and you still are feeling quite passionate about um, is perhaps not something that actually supports your body and uh, was not the best path in that sense. So I just wanted to believe that I could through pure grit, you know, will it to um, be possible. And um, I found time and time again that my body just keeps saying like, I hate this, like, no, and I keep getting rude awakenings. So Cobra, I'm really more interested in what your mindset was because I think, I think the career path could really just be a metaphor for any opponent to you going on a healing journey, right? That just happened to be your, um, that happened to be your opponent, right? So did you ever doubt, for example, that you were in fact sick or did you know that you really were sick? Did you, did you in your mind know that you were sick? Uh, yes, I did. I didn't know that I was sick. So that, I guess the second question is, then did you know that you had Lyme disease or did you have some doubt in your mind about whether you had Lyme disease and did that doubt allow you to continue to pursue the path that you're on rather than uh, pursuing a treatment path? I would say to a degree during that year and a half that I was on oral antibiotics and when the uh, symptoms started to become worse, um, you know, after passing that year mark on the antibiotics, that uh, I definitely had a little bit of a sense of doubt um, surrounding what exactly was going on. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, uh, I I do though, like, uh, I know you don't think that career has anything to do with it, but I do think that lifestyles with um, inadequate amounts of sleep, moldy environments, um, high adrenaline, and uh, non-regulated circadian rhythms are really not helpful to healing. 
don't know. I, I certainly believe that all of those factors that you just outlined are immune disruptors. And as a consequence of the immune disruptors, um, you were getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Yeah, but I I, I'm really just focusing more on your mindset, not on the, on the tactics, right? Because sure. at, at some point, your mind had to betray you. Your mind had to tell you that you didn't need to treat, right? So we see it in one of three different places. Sometimes we see people just believe that they're not sick. That's just sort of their body and they're, you know, and that's, that's the way things are. Sometimes we see people say, yeah, Lyme disease is not real. And that's why I don't need to go forward on the treatment path. And in some cases we see people just not believing that the treatments would work. And, you know, and there are different ways that in their mind, they believe that on this path, they're not going to get better or they don't need to get better. So I'm just trying to identify with you yeah. where you were on that, on that path, because it sounds to me like you were, you, you knew you were sick, but you had doubts about whether or not it was Lyme and whether or not you needed to treat that Lyme. Because again, there are opponents, there are a lot of opponents. Sometimes they come from the medical community. Sometimes they come from the news media. Sometimes they come from people that you're in relationships with. Sometimes it's people that you have intimate relationships with. So I just want to identify where you were there because now you're in a place where you're spending 100% of your energy believing you're sick, believing you have Lyme, and believing you can get better, and you're now finding that treatment. But there was some time during this, during this journey where your beliefs undermined your healing plan. And I'd just like to identify that with our audience. Uh, so my mindset specifically was actually that I think I was just generally um, uninformed and a little too optimistic. I really thought that because it wasn't that it wasn't aggressive still what I was doing. I mean, I was taking like two to three different oral antibiotics, two different times a day, um, different supplements to help my body through uh, the detoxification and um, supporting the, the organ and cellular function um really regimented like i just was taking so much stuff and trying to eat on the protocol um i just really thought it was going to be enough for me that's what my mindset was i thought like great i'm going to do this and it's going to get me to the other side and i'll just be looking back at it you know uh i did not expect um it to um grow uh, 10 times over the course of what that last six months and get on top again and um, get worse. And um, I wasn't anticipating that. And I don't know, like if I went back, if I would have still been different, I really thought like, okay. And also I had been treated, Bell's palsy had been treated through antibiotics in the past. I had no um, other reasoning. I always believed I was a strong woman. So I just had no other reasoning other than to believe that this was gonna be enough for me. And you are a strong woman. I mean, you are, you are a physically strong woman and you're an emotionally strong person. So I'm just again, to assist our, our listeners with this piece of it. It sounds to me that you believe that by attacking the, um, by attacking the, um, the microbes with the um, with the antibiotics, but that was enough. That you didn't have to do anything to essentially protect your body from the uh, different immune compromising um, uh, activities that you're engaging in, whether it be a lack of sleep or it be sleeping in a place where there's a lot of mold or any of those other immune disrupting yeah. events. 
Totally. And that's uh, sheer, um, maybe, I don't know if it's, if it's arrogance or in thinking that you can, uh, that you, you can will your way through those things. I, I was just too fearful at that age and at that point in time to really hear those words of like, your lifestyle is not going to help you heal right now and get on top of this. Um, but you did hear that from your doctors, right? I mean, your doctors were telling yeah. you your, you your lifestyle. Yeah. Every time he was telling me that. And also the stress level as well. He was just saying, your, you know, your, your, your stress level is uh, also going to <laughs> never allow you to get uh, well, you know, and, uh, but I just um, didn't want to believe that because I wanted to do the band. I wanted to do what I had to grow it, you know, and that's a bit, uh, a bit of youth speaking as well, I think. Well, it's also a part of your identity, right? I mean, you identified as the rock star. And because you identified as a rock star, anything that would interfere with your pursuit of that identity was something that your mind would not allow you to consider. Even when you had a doctor who you trusted telling you that, um, that your, your uh, identity at that time was going to damage your health. Oh, 100%, yeah. So now let's talk about the beauty of this experience because we've talked about all the challenges. Talk about the beauty of your Lyme journey and how you've become who you are as a consequence of going on this journey? Well, um, I think the biggest uh, and most amazing thing that has come out of it is um, an increased sense of uh, common humanity through living my experience and also seeing other people's experience and um, vicariously living through my sister's experience and my mom's. Um, it uh, also really made me aware of the things that I have that I take for granted that we all have, like the fact that we can walk and move around and, or we can drive and not worry about a seizure or uh, just these functions that we have that are just amazing. Um, gratitude. Yeah, gratitude for just being human beings and um, to have a clear mind and to be able to create and visualize things into reality um, and uh, just to appreciate those things when when they start being uh, diminished or um, you can't do certain things anymore then you see like how good you had it you know and um, another thing that was huge that has come out of it it still is coming out of this is I'm finding uh, just exactly where I am still not living a congruent um, life to my true values that I believe I have. Because it's one thing to say your values are this and this and this. It's another thing to walk the walk. And I, I think it's very hard for anyone to be fully congruent all the time, but it definitely smartens you up when you keep getting kicks in the head from your body saying like, look at this and look at this. And it's, it's really forced me to, uh, to uh, learn a lot more about myself. And that, if that permeates everything from 
um, what I choose to be around me the most in terms of um, people that impact me in my closest circle to uh, what do I really value in my life? Well, am I um, fulfilling that in a purposeful way for myself right now? Is this really supporting uh, who I want to be that reflects that to uh, people externally? Like I would love to be a walking model of wellness. Um, I can say I value wellness and I value uh, a longevity and f a fulfilling full life, but um, have I been walking that walk like all the way and not even close, you know? So it's been uh, really eye-opening and humbling to say the least. Um, the process of reorganizing your values so they come in line with principles. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so it's just provided me a massively big opportunity to become more congruent with being the woman I believe I came here to be in this lifetime. Now, how has this journey influenced your music? Um, it, well, it greatly influenced uh, particularly the um, fourth and fifth album because I was pretty ill when we were in the studio. And it wasn't something that I had um, shared to a large degree with uh, my bandmates. Um, I found uh, actually that a lot of people that surrounded me didn't um, quite understand, you know, which is, which is very understandable given what we know now about just uh, the world and even myself when I first found out about Lyme, uh, even people in my friends group, it was just um, seen as psychosomatic or not a real thing or uh, not something take it, that was taken very seriously. So, um, and it yeah. is an invisible illness and you are very athletic in your appearance, right? So, yeah, I looked well from the outside to everyone all the time. They just thought that's a, that there's a healthy girl, you know, um, which is just so wild, you know? Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I wrote a ton about it. My journey and my struggles when I was, uh, in the studio in Denmark, um, in 2017, and there's a lot of songs in there. There's a song called You Don't Know, and it's just talking about you don't know what it's like to be me, and that's for anyone, you know? Um, actually, like, no one knows what it's like to walk in another person's shoes, and we just don't have that perspective um, because we only can have our perspective, uh, truly. And, uh, yeah, I was, like, uh, so brain foggy, and um, I was having the muscle injuries, and... Uh, just so fatigued and um, I uh, would lay down on the studio floor and I would just pass out for two hours you know just take a nap like this like it didn't matter how much I slept the night before I just uh, always needed to take naps like and I could sleep anywhere and um, yeah it really impacted those albums and what's so cool though is that uh, it was um, it was impactful for people in their own journey, you know, Lyme or not. Um, just speaking from a very vulnerable place in the way that I had turned out to be very powerful for um, people in their own lives. Um, and uh, Lyme um, definitely uh, made me want to come forward with my lyrical content from a very vulnerable place. I had mostly written storytelling before. And this time I was talking from a really raw place and it just, uh, I think was a turning point 
for the music to also speak more to people that found our, our music. So I have one more request. Uh, I would yep. love to continue to have this very deep and powerful conversation <laughs> with you, but we've, we've uh, <laughs> already imposed, uh, uh, you know, on two hours of your time. So I'd like to ask you one last question. Um, that beautiful man you're married to, who I've seen walking behind you, um, comes into you right after we finish this podcast. And he shows you that after going on a hike, uh, he has a tick biting him on his leg. What would you tell him to do so he wouldn't have to go on the terrible journey that you've had to go on? Oh, I would definitely uh, tell him that we got to, um, we've got to go to uh, my doctor or an integrative practitioner. We've got to find someone naturopathic or integrative that's working with Lyme and autoimmune. We got to get that four week minimum dose of doxycycline because I just think what the westernized uh, doctors give you is just not cutting it. Um, it's either not taken seriously or it's not going to be long enough. And um, this should be general knowledge, you know, that we should have available to us. Uh, some people need even six weeks rounds of it. But, you know, you got to get on that and you got to treat it right away. And um, I would tell him to take a probiotic, a great probiotic, and uh, so that he can support himself while the gut's being, you know, wiped out. And, um, hand him a paper with the autoimmune diet protocol so he can just make his own mind up around what he wants to eat and likes from that list and uh, bolster the immune system in any natural way you can <laughs> while you're being treated. And I think you could, you could just nip it in the bud right there, you know, and be laughing after that. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with guest Cobra Page. To our listeners, we have a call to action. If you'd like to learn more about Cobra Page and the Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Cobra Page. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of this post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view and download the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. Thank you for listening.